Welcome to this week's Dying to Ask podcast, and I am excited to bring you season eight of the podcast. We're calling it The Restart. By we, I mean me. <laughs> Detailed it in the solo episode that published right before this one. I have a lot of inspiring guests coming up this fall, but I'll be honest with you, as I took my self-imposed hiatus, which by the way was amazing, just to have a little bit of mental brain space, to be honest with you, I needed it. Um, as I was thinking about like who should be the first guest, I really struggled because I felt like it's got to be big. Like it, I feel like the first guest sets the tone for where are you going this season. Um, and quite honestly, having a big name helps you drive the algorithm <laughs> to get the clicks on the podcast, which is kind of a big deal. So big name equals big deal equals big draw. So big surprise. I didn't actually go after that guest. The opportunity came to me and she, actually they, are kind of perfect given what's been going on since the Tokyo Olympics, which is where the Nine Ask podcast left off. And also what I feel like a lot of people in my world right now are talking about a lot more honestly than they used to. Olympic gymnast Simone Biles and her Tokyo teammate Jordan Childs are on the show today. Biles in Childs. That would be like an awesome podcast name buddy movie, lots of different things. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I have covered uh, 10 Olympics, Tokyo Games being the socially distanced one, which of course I covered from Sacramento. And when the news broke about Simone Biles during the Tokyo Olympics and her mental health challenges that she was dealing with, I just got inundated with questions from colleagues and from viewers. So it was, how could this happen? Aren't elite athletes supposed to be able to handle that kind of stress? Isn't this part of the job? And I thought to myself, this is it. This is that moment when a legacy alchemizes right before your eyes. And the truth is I've been around athletes like Simone Biles for years, most of my adult life. I have been in these massive press conferences where the bluntest of questions are asked, sometimes of teenagers. And I've often thought to myself, I could never, ever be that athlete. And honestly, I'd never want my kids to have to deal with that either. And with my genetics, it's very unlikely to happen. But there's always been a lot of pressure on athletes. I mean, 10 years ago, I started seeing psychology when it came um, to how it related to athletes starting to change a lot. So sports psychology. So say 20 years ago, they would bring in sports psychologists for big sports to help athletes get the mental edge. So it's all about how not to let the, how, how to get an edge over your competition, right? But then 10 years ago, things started changing a little bit. And it went from how to get the edge over the other guy to how not to let the sport and the other guy overwhelm your mental health and impact your performance. So that's really only in the last 10 years where it became more about protecting the sanctity of the brain and the focus from where it had been before, where it was purely about just winning. Because people started realizing that like life was changing a lot. So over the last few years, and we're talking like just like the last, say, three to five years, what I've started seeing happen, and this was by demand of athletes, is that the Olympic and the Paralympic movement started prepping the athletes for their life after sport. Because what you don't see very often is what happens to the athletes after they get off a podium or worse yet when they come in fourth and there never was a podium and the truth is what happens to a lot of them and i've seen it is severe depression when their olympic careers end and the reason is because for most of them they put the sport first at the expense of 
everything, like all the real life experiences, like college and careers. You hear the same thing about child actors too. You you get this incredible opportunity and experience, but you don't get the normal day-to-day stuff, you know, like going to homecoming dance like my kid did last week. And that's what it takes because if you want to be a champion, you got to work really, really hard and you do sacrifice a lot. But how much should you sacrifice is the question that a lot of us are asking now. And for these athletes, getting their first like real job, and they're like air quotes around that, when they're 29 or 30, when they've never really clocked in in a place, is very, very difficult. I've run into or chatted years later with athletes that I covered, and it's always interesting to hear how they handled that transition. And I ask the question always very carefully. Michael Phelps really highlighted how hard the struggle is in the documentary that he did for HBO. It was called The Weight of Gold. And he bluntly talked about the struggles that he had with mental health. And that was despite the fame and the money that his 28 Olympic medals had brought with them. And he had a number of other athletes in there, Apollo Ono, Sean White, Lolo Jones, Gracie Gold, Katie Ulander, all of whom I have interviewed over the years. And they all said that it was hard. In the last year, we saw tennis star Naomi Osaka withdraw from Wimbledon because she wanted to focus on her mental health because there was this public outcry after she refused to do press conferences. Do you remember that? So then came Simone Biles at the Tokyo Olympics, the GOAT. And she said that she had to focus on mental health and that she was dealing with the twisties, which in real layman's terms is where your spatial orientation gets affected in midair. And on a normal day, her spatial awareness is like the best in the world. But she knew it was off and that both her physical and mental health were in danger. Okay, so now that's a lot. I know I just spit out a lot. So let's go back to that day at the Tokyo Olympics. So I was working a split shift. I was doing morning news, and then I was coming back in the afternoon. I was hosting our Olympics on show, and I get this call asking me to do something that I've never done on TV before, which might surprise you. And that was, could you be our analyst? You have more experience than anyone in the market at Olympics. Could you be an analyst for us at three o'clock? Um, I was like, huh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, how hard could it be? But the truth is that being an analyst at something is completely different than being a reporter. Because when you're a reporter, you're just reporting the facts. This happened, this happened, this happened. Simone Biles dropped out of competition today. This is what she said. This is what's going to happen next. Back to you. Facts, right? Analyst is answering the question, why? And so it's really drawing on the knowledge that you have from over the years, knowing what the circumstances are like, and then trying to explain what's happening behind the scenes typically that might be contributing it. It's a different territory. So the question that I ended up getting asked on live TV wasn't the question that I was actually expecting, which will be pretty obvious. And it wasn't really the question I had prepped for. And you will be able to tell (laughs) that I was a little surprised by it. But to be fair, it was exactly the question that people around the world were asking about how Simone Biles could possibly drop out of competition. So I'm going to play you the whole interaction that happened on TV, and you'll hear my response as well. And then I'll tell you what happened after that. So here's the clip. 
We are now seeing how the competition can take a different toll, a different kind of toll on athletes. Yeah, and joining us right now is KCRA3's Deirdre Fitzpatrick live from uh, Doko. We're going to have our ozone coverage coming up a little bit later this afternoon, but uh, we just wanted to just to kind of touch base with you, Deirdre, on this. We know these athletes, look, they face a tremendous amount of pressure. The world is watching, but wouldn't some also argue that that's part of the game? That's part of the deal you signed on for? No. <laughs> no, and I think that's what's so powerful about this moment. I think what she did today is one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in sports, and I think it's something we will talk about for years. Because what she did is she has normalized and said it's okay sometimes to not be okay. She has come out very publicly and talked about the challenges of doing this job given everything she's had to do. Think about this. She is there representing USA Gymnastics, the very organization that failed her and so many other athletes in the Larry Nassar sex abuse scandal, the largest sports scandal in history. She is representing that organization. She has made it very clear how difficult this has been to make the decision to come forward and to be willing to do this again. And when athletes like Simone Biles or Michael Phelps, who has also said very similar things about the toll on his mental health, that being an Olympian and having the world's expectations on his shoulders has had on his life, when they come forward and they say, you know what, I'm not okay. It makes it okay for the rest of us to admit that sometimes we're not okay either. And with what she does, with the spatial awareness that she needs to be able to do that job, she knew when she did that move on the vault today, she, didn't, she couldn't execute it. And she knew that not only was she putting her own health at risk, she was also putting the team at risk for meddling, period. So to be willing to go up and to say, I need to pull back is a really brave thing. And then what she did next is so telling. She didn't go disappear. She didn't go back to her room. She went right back out there. She brought the chalk to the other women. She cheered them on and she didn't hide even though she knew the world was staring at her wondering what was going on. So I actually think this will as the years go on, be right. seen as a turning point because what you're seeing is you're seeing the athletes changing the culture and the organization themselves. They're not waiting for Team USA and the USOPC to do it for them. Why, and your point is obviously well taken, Deirdre, but I guess the question is why are we only seeing this now? Why hasn't this already happened in, you know, over years and years? I mean, you've covered uh, so many Olympics. Why are we just now seeing this? Because we're just starting to acknowledge, not only in sports, but in our life in general, that things are hard and that mental health is important. And it was about 10 years ago that I started seeing more sports psychologists coming into every single sport. But originally a sports psychologist was teaching you how to get into the head of your competitor and keep them out of your head so you could win. Now that sports psychologist is coaching these athletes into how to keep their heads okay so that when their sports careers are over and every athletic career ends eventually, that they will be okay. And what they were seeing, Golson, is a lot of these athletes would finish with their athletic careers and they might be 28, 29 years old. They've never held a regular job like the rest of us. They've never had to show up and punch a time clock and they couldn't do it. 
because they had only had one way of life. So the mental health part of this program has really been about the legacy of the Olympian. What will you do next? Let's guide you there so that that transition is easier. In the last year with the pandemic, they, like us, have had to adjust to a completely different kind of life. So they have had 24-hour hotlines set up so that these athletes in their dark moments could call for help and they've normalized it to make it okay for people to be able to say, I'm not okay right now. So for people who have big teams, they could lean on each other. But for people in the individual sports, it could be very hard to do. And you know, on the podcast the last couple months, we took an entire mental health theme. And every time I would stop a recording, I would always hear something from an athlete that was really honest, really vulnerable, and really dark. Every single one of them, like the rest of us, has struggled this year. And today you saw perhaps the most visible example of someone at the top of the world who everybody is counting on, who had to step back and say, I'm not okay. So yes, that was a very long ad lib for TV news. <laughs> I was supposed to talk for like 45 seconds. I did that and then I think I kept going for like another three to four minutes and I think people were afraid to cut me off. Um, okay, so I end up, I, I finish the, the live report and I think to myself, well, I am never gonna step into the analysis booth again. <laughs> but then my phone started going off. I was starting to get texts from colleagues and from viewers. I was getting emails, dozens of them, heartbreaking emails almost instantly. People saying that they, like Simone Biles, struggled with mental health, especially after the last year during the pandemic. They told me how their kids were struggling. They told me how much what she said resonated. They said they appreciated what she had done they recognized how hard what she had done really was. And then there were some nasty ones, not too many, just a handful of them. But the overwhelming response that I got that day and in the days and the weeks after was um, that people were really appreciative that somebody as public as her with as much to lose as her was willing to say enough is enough. And it was really, really powerful. In fact, I was in Hawaii a couple weeks later and uh, a friend happened to be on the same flight and stopped me to say that she appreciated, that she understood, that, that she felt that I had understood. And it was just really significant to me to know that, um, that people care, you know, and that sports can be this incredible transition in our society for people to make major, major change. And when somebody as public as a Simone Biles is willing to do what they did, it's really a gift. And that is, it's, it's remarkable. So it was a very um, interesting experience to kind of go through that on the reporting slash analyzing side of that. And sometimes when you do what I do for as long as I've been doing it, you can recognize the importance of a moment without the time going by. And you know, time is a gift. Like time gives you that perspective, the context of why was something so important. And sports is, is so pivotal for making those moments happen, whether it's um, racial equality or uh, being able to expose the sexual abuse that Simone and those brave gymnasts have done over the last couple of years. Sometimes it takes time to realize how big those moments are. Um, that was one of those moments where you look at it and you go, this is it. 
And you could feel that that was an incredible moment that was changing time in real time. And that's how I was feeling. And that's how I do feel about Simone Biles. She stepped back so that she could step back in. And in doing so, she let the rest of us know that sometimes you got to just take a break. No matter what's on the line, you got to take a break. Because the last year and a half, to use a phrase that I actually don't allow my kids to say, has sucked in a lot of ways. There is the inconvenience of pandemic life. That is easy to see. But what's not easy to see is how much living like we have has impacted our brains and our well-being. And if you're telling me that you are not affected by the last year and a half, I don't believe you. I really don't. I really feel like we as people are so changed in so many ways that we're only just now starting to unravel. And I feel like Simone Biles' mental health issues obviously have come from so many different things. There's the stress of being one of the most public faces of the Larry Nassar sex abuse scandal, the only one who is still competing in Tokyo. But in going public, in being raw, and in dealing with all that fallout, she gave a lot of people and a lot of kids the gift of normalizing that it is okay to not be okay. I'm gonna say it again for the people in the back. It is okay to not be okay. And I genuinely believe that it is a champion move for people like Michael Phelps and Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles to go there so that the rest of us can. So now we come to today's podcast and I get this offer. Would you like to interview Simone Biles this afternoon? Heck yeah. So heads up, this is forward facing. We recorded this in a week where Simone Biles had attended an MTV event. She had gone to the Met Gala. She testified before the Senate. And she had gone through the final dress rehearsals for the Gold Over America tour. Like that happened in four days. So we're going to touch on it in the beginning. And then we'll move on and we'll have some fun behind the scenes stuff about life post Tokyo. And Jordan Childs, by the way, is just absolutely charming. So on this night to ask, how do you keep going when the whole world knows your business? Now, I know you may not have to worry about the whole world. She does. But you probably have some level of it. So this could be like, how do you keep going when the people at work know you're going through a divorce? When the kids in school know that you are having a hard time, okay? How do you live forward when the whole world wants to look back? Biles and Childs, see, it sounds good. They're my guests on this week's Dying to Ask. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I've been anchoring morning news for more than 20 years. I thought I had seen and covered it all. Then came coronavirus, a pandemic anchoring in my living room, homeschooling my kids, and all the things that come with COVID, including a vaccine. It was supposed to get us all back on track, living our best Instagrammable lives. Best lives-ish. The reality is we're still untangling what life looks like in a world post-pandemic. A lot of people describe a sense of never-ending overwhelm and anxiety. Is that just what life is like now? Or are there ways we can get back to living in the now? And this season of the Dying Desk Podcast is asking how we can hit the restart and start living again. I'm in Sacramento, and Simone, about five years ago, I think it was the last time you were in Sacramento, um, I interviewed you at Memorial Auditorium, and you were here for the Boys and Girls Club. You were giving a keynote address. Do you remember that? And yes, I do. We did, we did an interview and a podcast down in like the basement of the building, which was a gross room. And your dad was there and your dad was looking at me like, where have you taken my daughter today? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a really uh, such a great time, and uh, so much has happened since that time. But it is really great to have you here again. Um, you know, I was thinking about you actually this morning because I was looking through your Instagram, and I was looking at like your last week on Instagram, and you had rehearsals, you had the Met Gala, you had Senate, you had like the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. I mean, what a week for you. I mean, it has been a, a crazy week, especially emotionally, physically draining, but at least we get to end on the highest of highs here on the Goldover America tour. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that, but definitely wasn't easy going from the Met Gala to the VMAs to the Senate to here. Um, it's kind of been a whirlwind. Is it important because it is such an emotional um, roller coaster over the last couple of months to, to be able to like forward plan and to have like really nice things to look forward to like this? I think so, especially after coming off another crazy experience, which was the Olympics and then having a little bit of time off and then this, that, the other. So it has been very emotional, but at least we have amazing things to look forward to. Yeah, Simone, you're a little bit more used to this probably than Jordan. Jordan, your last couple of months have been crazy. And I know you're getting ready to go back to college or to go to college here in the next couple of months, but you have the tour first. What's it like to be you these days? It's been amazing. I haven't really been back home. So that's something that I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to be able to go back home, do this, do that. But no, I've been traveling from state to state. It's been really crazy, but I enjoy it. And just like she said, ending on such a high note, like the Gold of America tour is going to be amazing. It's going to be so fun. And I'm going to have a lot to like think about because this is <laughs> this is a lot to, just yeah. in general. It's a lot to process. Yeah. And she goes straight into school. Yeah. So good luck. Then I go. I know. Like I, my brain's going to be fried at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll have some good stories to tell your new classmates, maybe your roommate or whatever, right? Um, so tell us a little bit about the tour and how it works, because gymnasts and ice skaters are unique in that you can finish um, a huge event like the Olympics, and you can go into a performance aspect of it that allows you to continue things and to really continue interacting with fans. So what is it like on the gymnastics side? On the gymnastics side, it'll be kind of crazy, high energy pop concert show. Uh, we have dancers as well. So they'll be doing their thing. We'll be doing ours. So it'll be a great collaboration, but we're super excited because there's a lot of LED lights, a lot of screens. We have a lot of cool features. And if you purchase um, the gold squad tickets, then you actually get to come up on stage and do the finale dance with us, which will be super fun. Okay. So everybody who's been doing TikTok for the last year will be like totally ready for that. Oh, they Why? should be ready. They should be ready. Exactly. <laughs> film the tutorial yesterday just so that they have that down. But I think everybody now should be a good dancer or at least a learner. I think they're as good as they're going to be at this point is probably fair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when you go and you perform and you, you rehearse for a show like this, what level of performance are you at? Like, are, are you doing Olympic level routines? Is it a different kind of thing because the, the tone of the show is so different? Tone of the show is definitely different. So it's not Olympic level gymnastics, but we will still bring some elite skills out here, but it's more fun. It's not a meet. It's not as serious. It's having fun and doing some of those big skills, but with lights and with music and with dancing. Um, so it's very, it's not stressful. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And, it, and you're with your friends. Exactly. Yes. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to 35 cities with some of their best friends? So, Oh, if I could tour with something, I think I'd be all over that. I think it sounds great. What's <laughs> it like? What's it like getting ready for it and doing the rehearsals? Um, it's such a different pace, I would think, but yet the expectations are still there by the fans. 
it's definitely been crazy. I think only because like, when you think as an athlete, we're like, oh, okay, like we know what we're doing like every, every day, like, cause we're constantly doing something, but for a tour as big as this, it's really, really like, oh, we practice here, do this, go here, do this, do that. Do so it's like a lot of stuff that we have to like process in our head yeah. in order to make sure we're on point. And for us, we have to make sure everything is perfect because as gymnasts, that's what we do. And so we're like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Like, what do we do next? But at the end of the day, I think we all like truly understand, okay, this is what we're doing. This is great. Like, this is a fun show. We're going to do it again tomorrow and just keep doing it. Yeah. But I also think it's different because in gymnastics, we have four exercises and we do the same routine every day. So it's very repetitive and not that we won't do the same show every single night because we will, but learning so many numbers has been wild and crazy. I mean, we learned one floor routine, one beam routine, we have a vault bars and we do that all the time. Every year we'll change a floor routine, but we have like, we have so many numbers. I can't even imagine the dancers had to learn like 20 dances. We had to learn like half of those. So it's been crazy. Crazy, but fun. I mean, it sounds like a, like an yeah. awesome, awesome adventure. What's it like being on the road with, with your friends and doing this kind of a show? Cause that also is very different than the, probably the normal when you're on the road competing. Yeah. I mean, it is very different because again, we're not competing against each other. We're just going out there, having a big show and celebration together to kind of, um, to kind of like solidify those those accomplishments that we've made. So it'll be really fun. Um, but being with each other for six weeks, I know it'll be really, really fun, but then really, really annoying because whenever we're with, we were already <laughs> with each other for so long and then we got that time apart, but we really are excited to take um, the tour and have this like bond and friendship over 35 cities. Are you guys on, I saw you post a picture on Instagram the other day of you getting onto a tour bus. Are you truly on a tour bus? Yes, we will be on a tour bus. Um, I'm not sure when the buses get here, but we are starting in Tucson, which we're here at rehearsals then. Um, so yeah, we'll take those tour buses and go around. Who is the prankster in the group? The prankster? Honestly, I feel like we really don't have any. Mm -hmm. It's probably her to be completely honest. <laughs> I'm not going to say who it is, but you never know. Yeah, it's probably her. Who's the den mom of the group? Yeah, yeah. probably. Is that, is that by nature of age or by nature of personality? Personality knows yeah. what she's doing. Is just able to like make sure we're on top of her. <laughs> yeah. Well, girl, you get, you got to do this, this or that. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Well, after watching you work that dress at the Met Gala, I'd probably put my money on you as well. Will you tell me a little bit about that? That dress was crazy. Yes, Flawless. it was absolutely beautiful. Amazing. It was a three in one look, which was super exciting because I kept having, I kept um, taking off layers as the night went on, but it was like the mobility, the flexibility from like the mats, the Met. So it was so much fun. My train was about 80 to 88 pounds. So I had like a couple guys helping me, but it was yes. such a cool six. experience. Six, exactly. yeah. six guys. Seriously. Yeah. And so Jordan watching or doing all that stuff, that must've been kind of a, that must've been kind of a thrill for you too, huh? It was, I was so proud of her because especially the Met, the Met has been something she's always wanted to do. And just seeing her out there just strutting in that beautiful <laughs> dress. I was just, I was overwhelmed. I started crying actually. <laughs> I was like tearing up because those are like, those are big accomplishments. Like she deserves every last thing that 
was being handed to her even her at the mtv i was just like okay queen like <laughs> show out then just do you <laughs> Oh, it, it's been a lot of fun just as a fan. It's been a lot of fun to be watching everything you've been doing, you know, since coming back from Tokyo. Um, let me just ask you a question. I, I was so moved by the entire experience with Tokyo and by um, how passionately you spoke out for people dealing with mental health challenges. And, you know, I have teenage kids. And after this last year, there are so many kids, especially, who have really struggled in a lot of different ways. Have you had just like... Have you had a big outreach to you with people just saying, you know, thanks for giving us a voice and for normalizing a lot of things for a lot of people? And what has that been like? Yeah, I've had an overwhelming amount of support and outreach and it means the world to me that at least they know they're not going through it alone. And if I could be a voice for them and help them in any aspect that I can, then that's what I'm going to do because we've been granted such amazing and big platforms. So it's truly been an honor, but to have everybody's support um, behind me is just, I never thought it would be like that. I thought it would be more of like a downfall and hard to talk about, but knowing that so many people can relate and go through these things, it makes it that much easier. I remember waking up that morning and reading about what you were going through. And I thought, and as soon as you started speaking out about it, I really felt like this is, this is a legacy. The gymnastics is amazing. Making mm-hmm. history is incredible and medals like you and Jordan have won is incredible, but this is a legacy of really being able to create a lot of change. Is that something you can even wrap your mind around at this point or is it too soon? I feel like it's a little bit too soon because it just happened and it's like, I'm still trying to process everything. And then I've been going here, here and here. So it's a lot. And I think it might take some time, but still to know the impact that I've already made and kind of brought the topic of mental health to the forefront is I think we've done as much as we can so far. We're not done yet. And I think it needs to be talked about a little bit more, but at least it's a start. Oh, it's more than a start. (laughs) Much more than a start. No doubt about it. Um, You know, when you go on these tours and when, when people watch you guys perform, Jordan, you know, there are so many little girls and you were one of them just a few years ago who look up to people like you and they really see these amazing role models. Do you already feel it, Jordan, even as young as you are and as new to all of this as you are, like in comparison to Simone, do you feel that kind of responsibility from here on out to kind of continue the work that Simone and the gymnasts that came before you really have laid down yes and no um for me like I'm still that young gymnast looking up to someone like Simone or other people out there because they're still doing great things not only in gymnastics but also outside of the gymnastics world so I think being able just to look up to them will give me the opportunity to be like okay these little girls are looking up to me in that way and yes I do understand all that and I love that and I will do whatever I need to do inspirationally, physically, whatever, um, to make sure I'm doing the same thing as the people above me are doing. So I think it, um, it will take a while. It definitely will, but hopefully I will be in that great position to do that. You're a little bit older, Simone. I saw you nodding. Is that probably the answer you would have given at that age? No, most definitely, because I think it's easy kind of watching the girls that have paved the way before you and to know that they're doing such great things. And if I continue this route, then I could be just like them and um, have more of an outreach to younger communities globally. Um, I loved before the Olympics and certainly after you talked a lot about the importance of having fun in your life. I coach middle school kids and I, I start with the fun because if you don't have the fun, they don't want to do any of the rest of it. Are you having fun 
we're having probably too much fun. <laughs> dial it down and maybe put some naps in our schedule because I think we're just having too much fun. But definitely, yes. And I think it's important at every age to love what you do, whether that's in your workspace, in sports, in business, whatever it is. What's the biggest thing you've learned in the last couple of months? Probably just to speak out and just listen to my mind, my body, um, my health. And Jordan? I'd say the same thing. <laughs> I'd say the same thing. Um, but also to not, not doubt anything at all. Because that's something that I threw out even prior. That's something that I had an issue with. I doubted everything. So not to doubt. Just have yeah. To well, you have a lot to be confident about, no doubt about it. Okay, so the tour is kicking off. You're starting in Tucson. You're coming to Sacramento. How many cities is it? 35. Wow. Yeah. 35. Yeah. <laughs> well, build in the naps. Find uh, a nap on the bus. Well, I'm she working will. on it. <laughs> she will, for sure. I'll be well rested. <laughs> well, well be thank like, you so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining today. We really appreciate it. Best of luck with the tour and uh, good luck. And, and thank, um, congratulations on getting through what I know is a tough seven days. Highs, lows, but it looks like you're heading into a really nice time and you've certainly earned it. Thank you so much. I thank really you. appreciate it. And we'll see you out there. Sounds good. See you in SAC. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you very much, ladies. You're welcome. All right, that is Simone Biles and Jordan Childs on the Dying Das podcast. Couple of takeaways. Number one, that introduction I did was more than 13 minutes long. I just set a new record. How about that? Number two, Simone Biles is the GOAT at pretty much everything. And I do believe her legacy is going to be as much about mental health, maybe more, as it is about gymnastics. And I think also that if you had cameras for 24 hours on that tour bus, that would be the best reality show ever. So bravo again on that. Check out goldoveramericatour.com. You can find some of the future tour dates. They've got 35 total dates. Maybe it's worth hitting the road yourself to go check them out. You can follow Simone on Instagram at Simone Biles. Jordan Childs is at Jordan Childs. And the tour is on Instagram at goldoveramericatour. There's a link if you want to get tickets there as well. They are both very funny in their Instagram stories. So if you need a little diversion from uh, reality, that's always a fun place to stop. Thanks for listening to Dying to Ask. Take a minute if you can, leave the show a review on whatever app you're listening to us on right now. And if you're pressed for time, just hit a few stars, preferably five. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on Dying to Ask.